Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 223. This is a very special episode today. I'm joined on the podcast today by physical performance coach at Speedworks, Hailu Theodros. Now, if you've not seen the work that Hailu is putting out recently, Hailu is obviously working closely with Jonas Dodu and all the Speedworks team doing some incredible work um, with different clubs and different individuals as well. So we covered his career, what led up to the role um, at Speedworks and with Jonas. We spoke about transitional movements to optimise speed and he went into some unbelievable detail around this topic as well. This is the majority of the podcast, but there's some incredible information to take away from this. How different people, different players decelerate, um, working with different players and the individual approach that he takes with each player as well, breaking down different movements and different performance questions um, and coming up with solutions. We talked about developing the brakes as well, developing deceleration. And Hilo also gave some of his experiences working in academy football as well. So working from under nines up to under 16s. And I know he did a little bit of work with the 18s and I think he mentioned 23s as well. Um, So we touched on some of the work in full-time academy football as well. So absolutely loads to take away from this one. Just a quick heads up before we get into the episode, as Jonas did back on episode 195, Hilo shows some graphics and some visuals on this podcast. So if you're in a position to, I know a lot of people will listen to the podcast when you're driving, so I'm not suggesting you do that. If it, uh, do this if that's the case. If you can watch this episode over on YouTube, you'll understand a little bit more about what he's actually talking about in the middle part of the podcast. You will still get it from the audio, but what I would say say is he shows some examples and some players moving. Um, So if you can, go and check out the YouTube video as well. And another thing, you are gonna need a pen and paper for this one because there's some incredible information in this episode, a lot of which you won't wanna miss. And I do recommend that you try and take some notes as you're going through as well. So. Bear that in mind just before we get into the episode. Now, regular listeners of the podcast are probably sick of me mentioning, but I really do would appreciate it if you could go and leave us a review. Our Spotify reviews are up to around about 40 at the moment, and the iTunes ones are around about 65, 66. I want to try and get them both to over 100, and there's plenty of people listening that haven't left us a review yet. So please just take a couple of minutes, click pause, If you're on Spotify, it's so easy. You just click the five stars. Um, iTunes, just leave us a short comment and click the five stars. I really would appreciate it. Just a heads up as well. We've got a couple of upcoming networking events. We're going to be announcing a few more as well over the next few weeks. But I've already mentioned in previous episodes, on the 31st of January, we're going to be over at Huddersfield Town um, with Paul Bauer, Callum Adams and Luke Dobson all presenting for us. That is going to be at the stadium at Huddersfield. The topic for the evening is alignment of performance and development in professional football. So the lads are going to be talking from an academy perspective up to first team, how that aligns um, to some great content coming from that evening. Tickets are still available. We've had tickets go to coaches at Blackburn, Stoke City, Rotherham United, Leeds United, a number of other clubs as well. So go and grab your tickets for that. That's set to be a great event. We've also now confirmed, if you've got us on socials, on the 15th of February, we're going to be going back to Everton Football Club. 
There was a great event there last year. They held the alumni event for John Moores before our event. So it was great to catch up with an incredible amount of coaches, some brilliant practitioners there as well. So I do recommend this event if you're in the area. Dr. Mark Hulse and Luke Benstead are both presenting for us. Mark is the Academy Lead Strength Conditioning Coach at Everton. Luke is first team assistant coach slash head of coach development and methodology with the Royal Belgium FA. So two brilliant practitioners are going to be presenting for us at that event. The time this podcast goes out, early bird tickets are still available for that one. So to get any tickets for events, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and then networking events and you'll be able to grab your tickets there. And just finally, before we get into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Hydro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hydro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hydro allows teams to use a safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So you can check them out at Hytro.com or you can email Warren on Warren at Hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And also go and give them a follow over on socials. They're at Hytro over on Twitter and also on Instagram and go and support the guys doing some amazing work in BFR. Massive thank you as well to our sponsors, Rezzle. And let's get into episode 223 with Hilo Theodras, physical performance coach at Speedworks. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 223. I nearly messed that up then. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, physical performance coach, Hailu Theodras. Hailu, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Very good, very good. Getting used to the new year and getting into the flow of things, um, but good, very good. That's good to hear. And, and thank you very much for coming on. I've been peppering you with messages to try and tie down a date and get you on. So I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Perfect, mate. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are aware what you're doing currently. Um, and if there isn't, they're going to find out very soon. But can you take us back and just give you give them a little idea about the career so far that you've had? Yeah, so um, so things kind of started. Uh, I started actually in more of a, uh, in the medical field. I started doing a sports rehabilitation undergraduate degree at St Mary's. That's kind of where I definitely wanted to go originally wanted to go down the physiotherapy route rehabilitation route and um kind of halfway through that course was a great course was a big foundation for for some of my knowledge and understanding around things but halfway through I was given the opportunity to kind of to to work part-time at Chelsea uh uh which uh, prior to the recent change I was I was there for nine years um 
but started that role as part-time working with the under nines kind of coming in Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. Um, and that was more of a performance-based role. So more on the sports science, just the conditioning side of things. And it was a quite nice dynamic kind of really been really heavy on the injury side and then coming into that performance environment helped me to kind of understand a bit more late stage rehab at the time. And, but I kind of really, really, really uh, enjoyed the performance space and the problem solving around it um, and actually transitioned my career towards that. Um, so um, I was fortunate enough to kind of, um, as, the, as, as I came towards the end of my undergraduate degree to get a full-time uh, role there and um, that was kind of mainly working with the nice to 14s across those groups um kind of with the evening program and the day release program um and yeah just kind of ran with it there and and i think the rehab there was still a lot of uh, holes to plug in my knowledge going into the performance space but um the performance field but the rehabilitation environment was a great platform for me to just understand um understand anatomy understand um yeah, anatomy, uh, how the body moves from a from a kinematic standpoint, that was very heavy on the course um, and probably needed to just plug a few holes within my training knowledge. Um, and that's where actually I picked up my MSc um, at MSc and SNC at St. Mary's as well, um, kind of alongside my my role at Chelsea, my full-time role. And, and that was great. That was just, it was a distance learning course. It was great, great to kind of learn something on the Monday my own time and then apply it straight away and really had loads of questions it was kind of this new role that I was coming into so working with the nines and working with the 14s and doing some um, some bits with the older groups there was a real wide range of experiences and coaching experiences that I had and and was able to support that with real um scientific uh education that I was doing at, at some um SNC uh, at the SNC masters so so yeah that's kind of uh kind of blinked and and then it was nine years um uh but my role was that was primarily my role for a big big part of the, my nine years at Chelsea um and kind of yeah so mainly working nine fourteens then went on to overseeing the physical program for for six years nine to nine to fifteens and and kind of evolving that physical program um uh, adapting it building on it and still still very much involved in the delivery side of things but had a bigger involvement on the strategic side then um and then also did over that period did a lot of work individually with the 18s and 23s in a a movement coach role um which sounds um sounds very broad and strange but um that was essentially really trying to bridge the gap between gym and gym and gym and field this kind of real transferable skills or or uh transition movements that will come on to later that was a, a role that was kind of like a referral based system that coaches would kind of highlight players that needed to improve on their movement um but a lot of these these situations didn't either fit in the gym but didn't really fit on the technical side so mm-hmm. my role was to kind of bridge the gap between that and really work on these key performance situations um that were highlighted by the coach um and use that scientific knowledge or or that physical testing that we had to really bridge the gap and understand how we can help players in, improve their their movement um specific to these situations that coaches uh would highlight um and that that for me i think those nine years of working from nines through to 23s at different points was was really fundamental to to, to my to my journey um and definitely starting at the younger groups was quite fundamental it really challenged a lot of my 
a lot of my thoughts around um, skills versus capacities. And actually, I think we have a very heavy emphasis on capacities. Uh, it can be, maybe not so much of release of recent, but definitely back then it was about what you're doing in the gym and being strong, etc. And actually seeing uh, individuals at a young age be very competent, but not very competent in the gym, but being very competent on the field, mm. fast, strong, agile, etc. Really challenged, allowed me to challenge my thoughts around what we traditionally believe um so that was fundamental and and also seeing how does that how does that chat transition how does a nine go through to the ages of 23 just before i left i had the i was fortunate enough that the first group i started with under nines ended up being the last group so i almost managed to see a full cycle when they got to 18s and that was that was a big eye-opener um about like the developmental process and what needs to occur at different ages and what, what becomes important um and also, yeah, how to develop a program as well. Sorry, I've kind of waffled on a bit there, but no, um, no, not at all. It's it's always that scary moment, isn't it, when you can watch players go through them those cycles of of nine years. You suddenly yeah. reflect on, oh wow, they were under nine not that not that long ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Just on that point, though, working how your role transitioned throughout that time. Yeah, was there, you sort of mentioned it with the younger ages that that challenged you in probably a slightly different way as a coach. Um, yeah. But was there a point in time where you feel you made the most progression as a coach, whether that was working with a certain age or whether that was um, just a certain time in your career? Um, that's a really good question. I think when I over, took over the program, you know, I, I was I was probably accelerated my, my my career quite a lot because I had to upskill myself a, a lot more in terms of both like anecdotally in terms of my experience and and where the groups I was working with but also just my knowledge of of the whole program because I think at times I felt like I was probably stuck in my age group at times yeah and zooming out a little bit allowed me to have appreciation for where we trying to get people to um and how how do how does that look day to day which if I'm honest was was really challenging um was really challenging when I started it was how do we go from here to to hear and and really work out the details of from from a a yearly cycle to to a sessional cycle um or sessional um progression so i think my career definitely had an acceleration in terms of learning around that period there was a lot of things i didn't get right um and i happily say that there was i think back to some of the things that i was doing um and was <laughs> probably yeah wasn't great um but no, but that was important as well. That was important. That was kind of all part of the process of kind of experimenting, trying different things, actually seeing what players had success with. What does the program have success with? Um, how do we manage uh, the the overall um, objectives of the club as well as the physical development uh, objectives? How, how do we marry those up at different groups? What becomes a, how to navigate certain conversations, how to understand where the coach is coming from and take that and apply that to a physical setting and, yeah, a lot of those different areas were, were, was definitely something I was just exposed to by the role I was in. It's something we're going to touch on in a minute, but the, the sort of transitional movements and transitional movement patterns and the, that link, like you mentioned, between gym and pitch, was yeah. that a bit of a natural progression of of in terms of you of a practitioner and an area of interest, or was that because um, so that was, that was kind of. Yeah, so that was kind of going on before I I was kind of that role and responsibility was kind of uh, passed on to me when my line manager moved on. Um, but 
it was it was it was it's great to see because I think it's becoming a lot more of a uh, are well understood now. But back then it was, I found it very challenging taking that on. If I'm honest, it was how do we yeah first of all how do we understand what the coaches are saying coaches would describe things okay he doesn't move very well or he can't adjust his feet and really taking these really broad subjective comments which are very valid for sure um, especially from the experienced coaches that they're coming from but how do we take these concepts and and dissect them and understand where they need to spend their time because I think one thing that I found really challenging is that there'll be five players that would all fit into the same so one common common theme was defenders defenders would typically be the ones that get referred doesn't move his feet very well isn't very balanced and these broad comments but there were five players that all had the similar issue but what was driving those issues um were very very vastly different across all of them yeah Um, so that was really challenging for me to understand okay where does strength fit in this? Where does speed fit in this? Where does change direction ability fit in this? Where does braking fit in this? Um, is 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 his limitation in one v one situations because he can't break well, or actually, he is is it his perceptual abilities? Is it his tactical understanding? And I think that gave me a real appreciation for, as much as we, I, I speak about this a fair bit with Jonas, um, but I think sometimes the the angle that we come from at times in SNC and sports science can be testing upwards. We test, we test across multiple different physical qualities and then we work up to performance as opposed to understanding where the, where the coaches come from, which is performance down and understanding where testing fits in as part of the puzzle, as opposed to our starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big learning curve for me. And that's definitely how I view things now. I think testing tells us a bit more as part of our decision tree in terms of where we need to spend our time but definitely this reductionist approach of starting at physical qualities only can mask a lot of things that that actually the coaches are talking about and actually how do we marry up these two does that make sense yeah it does I think we we oversimplified things you mentioned it before we kind of oversimplified things a little bit ago and we're getting more context behind it now didn't we that play we just got to get a player stronger yeah okay exactly where does that go and what does that mean and yeah. how does that impact them? So it's... How, do, how does he express it? How does he exp- express that force? What, what are the strategies? And and um, a lot of the work that Jonas has done even prior to me joining Speedworks has definitely helped me to understand that even more uh, as I've kind of got... But those are the, definitely the questions I was having at, at the club. Like, okay, um, they all need to improve their dece- deceleration, but actually... He's maybe more forced dominant. He's maybe a bit more of an elastic athlete. How does that influence his strategies? Um, how does what we see in testing? How does the way he jump influence um, or tell us something about how he chooses to move? And then where do we need to spend our time? Is it in the gym potentially? Um, but actually, is it uh, at his physical skills? How do how do we how do we balance those two um, and prioritize to kind of get a performance change, not just a gym gym change or yeah. a a testing change. Yeah, because yeah. we we probably all have players where you've got real success on a gym program, haven't you? And actually yeah. measuring that to pitch performance can be probably quite different. Yeah, 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 100%. And it for me, again, that was kind of this, starting from rehab, I kind of wasn't, I think I thought about things slightly differently a little bit just because of the educational background that that was. Um, 
and uh, do you know i'll be honest I, I also did part of the masters to kind of challenge my own thoughts to come out am i still going to come out of this masters with the same opinions that i had in, in terms of skills are important as capacities or am i going to come out the other end and realize that you know capacity is the only thing and i'm quite happy that i managed to come out the end and gain a greater insight as to why capacities are important and physical qualities are important but actually no skills are still very important yeah um uh, and skills actually how we transfer those um capacities into into performance um yeah so it's quite a pivotal part of my my journey i'd say and you just sort of referenced it before but if anyone doesn't know we just give a bit of background around your current role now as well okay yeah so um <laughs> to well i've been working with speedwex now uh for the last oh, close to a year um um kind of doing that whilst i was still at chelsea a little bit um in a in a part-time capacity and then um more recently full-time uh with speedworks for the last two months and that's been great kind of coming on board um working a lot more in that in that private sector working a bit more individually with athletes um and it's been interesting being on both sides of the fence being at a club environment for so long and then um, it's been a challenging transition, but but a, a good one as well. And there's pros and cons for both. And but one thing I think I came to realize towards the end of my time at Chelsea is that I really enjoyed working individually with athletes, and I also wanted to push my development. Um, and I think sometimes the hecticness, um, or the 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 lack of time at times within a club environment, I felt, um at times kind of hindered hindered my development, how much time I had to reflect, how much time I had to really dive deeper and being um, working with more bigger groups um, and doing more, um, which is a skill in itself, definitely, but it's a skill in itself to be able to group people and understand how to uh, work within those numbers. But I think one thing I highlighted was I wanted to push my knowledge and, develop, and my development a bit more by diving in it a bit deeper being able to work closely with one individual and actually really, really understand the data a bit more and um, how do we link the data to sessions how do we um, build that across a year um and coming on board with speed has facilitated that still working with, with footballers um um but it's been great to kind of have that time and that dedicated one-to-one contact time that is really focused and specific around um not only the training side but also the teaching side the coaching side of things um which I'm really enjoying. And I, I think I also realized that I was really, I also really enjoyed the coach athlete relationship. And and you get that a lot more with a, with a one-to-one or, or smaller groups. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's a contrast to, to the things I've done, a lot of similarities as well, but a contrast, but, but really enjoying it. I think it was the right thing I needed at the, t- um, at the time to push my development and um, yeah, the next thing for me as a practitioner. No, it's really interesting you're saying about that because obviously you said before about like having groups of five players with all from the outside looking very similar performance like issues or things to work on and it poses that question, doesn't it? But when you start diving into it, you've essentially got five individuals there, five individual circumstances, five individual amounts of time that you have to invest in that player. So yeah. it becomes quite hard. And that's just five players out of the squad of how, however many as well, isn't it? So it's, yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting one. And that's, and that's what I've enjoyed. Like being able to be a lot closer with, with less players has allowed me to appreciate the differences between individuals and yeah. that's my development a bit more because I need now we need to understand that actually this person needs this 
And it might only be slight different coaching variations, or it might be a whole complete different program. Yeah. But when working in those groups, I think it can be challenging to really identify those those differences between people or those limitations to to then dictate where the program needs to go. Um uh just because of the time available. But yeah. but like I said, those things are skills in itself. I think working in that team environment and and individualizing within the team is as tough as it is, it is a skill in itself. And it almost being able to bucket players into groups and and those are skills itself. But I exercised that for nine years and actually wanted to try and dive a bit deeper. Yeah, brilliant. Talking of diving a bit deeper, let's do it now because I know we've got some cool topics to cover. We've, we've referenced it a little bit around um, optimising speed through these trans transitional movements. And I know it's yeah. something you've spoken about before. Can you give a little bit more information around what you mean behind that? Um, so around transitional movements? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so this again, this is kind of a lot of the work comes from the work that I've done with Jonas more recently. And we're building on that a lot more and to truly, really try and uh, share some of that information and understand it a bit more. But a lot of it also comes from the, the work I did at Chelsea. And um transitional movements for me is is that grey area that we spoke about, that grey area where actually because of the nature of team sports is very multidirectional. But again, I think we want to test and we want to bucket things into these things so we can understand them so um transitional movements are for me what connects linear speed with deceleration change direction with the de uh, with deceleration and it's almost the connectors that facilitate people being as expressive in those in those bigger broader qualities which is acceleration or speed and and i think the nature of team sports um those transition movements actually in my experience as well um are very pivotal to how much um in performance situations they're quite pivotal and what i mean by that is the coaches would continuously talk about ah oh, he doesn't move very well and he, he he doesn't adjust his feet he doesn't um doesn't backpedal very well he loses his balance and taking all of, all of these comments it was very difficult again without reiterating it because we did a change direction, a 505 test or a 10 meter test, it was really hard, hard to understand what these coaches are talking about because all we would default to was would be this, this test, this test, this test. And actually, a lot of the times, players would be really good in those tests, yeah. those isolated mm -hmm. tests. But then, yeah, when you're watching the game, you do see that actually that is the biggest thing that is affecting his performance. A key defenders, again, using them as, as an example, um, they're a key a key success criteria for them is is being able being able to be competent in one v one defended, but the but there was the individuals I used to deal with that again were quick can change direction well, but actually when asked to rotate and turn or back pedal all at the same time, um would really struggle would really struggle to reorientate control their center of mass or or um or redirect their speed. So for me, transitional movements is is a mixture of, for, for me, there's four core areas. I, I would say there's uh, four core skills and I group them. I would group them and it's not something um, brand new. Everyone knows about a backpedal, a lateral shuffle, a rotational a rotational shuffle uh, or a, a drop step, so, so to speak, and uh, a crossover step. Those are definitely the, the four that we tend to see. But... Um, those areas in my beliefs are, are not 
almost tools that people pick up and so you just use the back pedal when you have that situation or use a side shuffle when you use that situation or a crossover step a lot of these are a mixture of 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 all of them put together and a lot of it when you see it from a game speed perspective are blended together but but they are skills that are from my experience are not really worked upon because we don't test them and we 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 don't objectify them but so the work that i did at chelsea has been so I'm rambling on a little bit here, but um, the work I did at Chelsea was really focusing on actually how do we help these individuals improve at them their transitional movements to, in order for them to be able to access their speed quicker that they do have in a ten meter sprint or um, or be able to connect uh, acceleration to deceleration the transitions that happen in between. Um, sorry, I kind of ramble on that gone on a bit uh-huh. of a tangent. Makes sense? Is that clear? Yeah, it does. It does 100%. And, and with that in mind, obviously, these four key areas, Yeah. especially with the work at Chelsea when you're working with those age groups, are they things that you put into the programme and they they stay in yeah. the programme throughout that whole time? Yeah, yeah. So they, they, those those skills um, those those skills were part of the programme in the, in the general sense that they're young groups with no real specificity. Actually, can you just be good at those uh, those skills in 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 a non-specific sense yeah. but then um at the older groups it would be a lot more targeted okay actually what are the situations that you need to work on as an individual is it actually your ability to backpedal specifically because this situation is where you struggle okay then actually targeting that and actually really having a particular emphasis on that or actually is it a a crossover step actually 1v1 your ability to turn and stay tight to players and your ability to twist your hips etc um is where you struggle so we're going to focus a bit more on that um, so yeah, those, those transitional movements is something that I've kind of been working a lot on to really try and understand and also share and, um, share to people so that, uh, to highlight the importance of it, um, even though we can't attest it. Um, so it definitely sits on the game speed end, but, um, with, with the work we've been doing at Speedo, it's probably something good to dive into now, actually, a lot of the projects that I've been doing with Speedo as well as coaching, um and, and consulting has been uh really trying to understand breaking a bit more and actually breaking comes into those transitional movements a lot more so um Damien Harper and Tom DeSantis have done a great great job in terms of really understanding what those KPIs are around deceleration and, and highlighting the importance of deceleration I think is definitely topical at the moment so um a lot of the work that we're doing is actually taking those uh those concepts but really trying to understand um, apply a lot of the principles that speedworks have put together in terms of projection switch and reactivity but how does that look for multi-directional speed how does that look for braking um and actually presents a good framework to understand actually how they transfer um but no probably good time to jump in on the presentation actually so um i'll just share yeah, I'll, just, I'll just say on this Ali, why, you, why you're putting that on is that anyone that's just listening on Spotify, iTunes, we are Halloween's showing some graphics now as well. So make sure you go over and check out the YouTube video as well, um, because there's going to be some good stuff on here. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, uh, so again, these breaking KPIs that we're probably again, Damien Harper and Tom DeSantis have done a really good job of of um, capturing that. Just building on top of those, uh, we we definitely view them as, as skills and capacities. And it probably helps me to understand those a bit more. And a lot of the common things that we tend to see is the the penultimate step, um, the the ability to drop center of mass uh, are the big KPIs that we definitely tend to see. The ability to 
uh, increase the distance between center of mass and base, base of support when having to change direction or or break. And um, those are definitely the big, big rocks that are definitely spoken about. But building on that, I think that these skills and capacities that how we tend to view them helps us to kind of understand um, where someone needs to spend their time a bit more. Um, and what I mean by that is, so from a from a breaking perspective, the, some of the key skills are that we, we, like we spoke about is dropping. Are you able to rapidly drop your center of mass um, at the point of that penultimate step and, and in the opposite direction as well? Especially if you're moving, if your momentum is your your momentum is going forwards, are you able to drop center of mass and and, and also shift center of mass in the opposite direction in order to break and change direction and and halt momentum or, or forward forward momentum? Do you have the trunk discipline? Um, and I'll come into this later. But um, do you sit or fold? Um, do you sit into the hole? Do you when you drop your center of mass? Do you sit or do you drop center of mass by flexing at the trunk and being really, um, really for, forwardly, for, for, uh, forwardly folded. Sorry, apologies, that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> do you have the discipline to be able to actually create that drop of center mass by f- flexing at the hip as opposed to flexing at the trunk, flexing at the, at the thoracic spine, the lumbar spine? Um, um, are you able to, the skills that are involved to, to support breaking again, uh, are you able to increase the distance between your center mass and base of support? Do you do you have an understanding how to how to be really strong in that lateral hip to 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 create a bit of a block to the direction you're trying to avoid going in? Okay, to create a block into the ground and and really create a large distance between your center mass and your base of support, your planting foot. Um, and then other skills are: um, Do you have the ability to manage your speed? Okay, like, do you have to spread out your deceleration over many steps, or are you, are you able to to create a big spike in your impulse and 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 um drop your speed or your velocity velocity decrement quite rapidly? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. The, the, for me, those um those are a lot of the skills that income encapsulate breaking. And then actually a lot of the, the capacities that reinforce that actually, and this when I say capacities, I'm referring actually to the tissues involved. So again, that isometric force, um, that eccentric force that you're able to produce, what is the magnitude of that force you can produce? And and that could be um, it task-specific or, non, or non-task-specific, but are you able to create high amounts of eccentric and isometric peak force? Can you create that in a short period of time? Um uh, do you have that active range of motion around the hips and knees in order to drop center of mass? So those are capacity that are going to support all the skills that we need to be able to be able to break effectively. Um, and then also, do you have that that ankle stiffness and and, and that probably ankle and hip stiffness probably um, to be able to create a real block, um, a real block in that base of support when you do step outside of your hip? Can you be nice and rigid in that ankle to not allow any collapse? Can you be really strong in the outside of that hip to to resist any um, further motion in the direction you're trying to avoid going in too further? Um, and probably just to bring that all together, I think the video that we probably put together here probably really sh- shows that really well. And actually, so this is a lateral shuffle um, and uh, something that we've used quite a lot actually as a great screening tool to understand, both understand these different KPIs in terms of uh, their skills and capacities that an individual might have, but then also, um, uh, but also a screening tool to understand where people 
may be at risk of, of further injury um, uh, or or future injury or previous injury um, and just understand how they move a bit better as well as understanding the big rocks of the KPIs in terms of the penultimate step and drop in centre of mass and um, high eccentric force, high eccentric force. How does that actually look when we bring it together? So here's a video. And what you'll see is good, good at the top and bad at the bottom, as you can see. And simply a lateral shuffle working between these two cones. Okay, but what we can start to see is actually, actually, let's start that again. Okay, so... Good versus bad, good on the top. Okay, so first things, some of the things that we spoke, we, we've just spoken about. Do you have the trunk discipline actually to redirect your force? Okay, so as you can see, the person at the top is is already moving into the new direction. Okay, whereas actually the trunk discipline of the person below actually shows an inability to really manage that that lateral momentum that's going in in the direction in that direction that he's just come from and does, he doesn't really have that the much discipline to to really prepare for the next step okay so actually what we can see here is actually tends to lean into that outside step a bit more um and as a result of probably an inability to to create the right amount of force in that penultimate step you tend to see what we see in here is actually a lot more knee abduction and this is something that we would term as overspill the inability to create enough braking force in that penultimate step um, causes an overspill of momentum, an overspill of motion, and that knee abduction is definitely a clear, a clear indicator for for um, for that inability to do that. And what you and actually as a result of it, what you tend to see here from the person at the bottom is that because of that overspill in um, that, that penultimate step, the outside leg actually has to yield a lot more, has to break a lot more. Yeah. has to break a lot more to move into before having to redirect in a new direction. Whereas actually the person above has been able to drop his center of mass quite well, shift his center of mass in the right direction and project in the opposite direction he's moving into, which has actually meant that the outside step can focus on pushing into the new, new direction as opposed to breaking and pushing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Any questions there? No, no, no. Okay, so if we move into the next, okay, here we go. So we've spoken about shin and trunk orientation. We'll, we'll just touch up on it again. The outside step, the center of pressure in the outside step. If we, oh, I'm going to struggle to go back here. Um, yeah, so again, that that inability to to be strong in the trunk shows, shows actually that individual ends up displacing his hip a lot further into the direction he's not trying to go. Okay, and actually that being disciplined in the trunk definitely supports displacing the hip less in order to move into a new direction and spend less time in the hole, so to speak. Um, so can you get in and out of the hole quicker? Can you um, break quick enough in order to move into the new direction? And then I think that might be the main points. So that's some of the stuff that we're doing. So in order to understand breaking a bit more, those are the th key things that we tend to focus on is dropping the center of mass, um, creating that high eccentric force in order to, to drop the center of mass. But then also do you have the stiffness in the outside of the hip to be able to be strong and resist that hip displacement increasing at the point of change of direction? Um, and also how are you then preparing for the new direction, whether that's through the, the dropping of the center of mass or, or the trunk discipline? To, to prepare for the new step. Is that clear so far? 
If you're enjoying this episode, the good news is the guys at Speedworks have agreed that they're going to be doing a webinar for our community very soon. So all members will be able to check that out. That'll join loads of content already available over on the community, including webinars and presentations covering topics like plyometric training for football, the evolution of science in football, football nutrition, a periodized approach, pitch-based rehabilitation, developing Champions League standards, sports science, past, present and future, and so much more, so, so much more. So if you're not already a member, now is a great time to join. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there, I'll give you one month free so you can access all those presentations and webinars I just mentioned. After your free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get all the content that's coming very soon, including the webinar from the guys at Speedworks and some amazing webinars we've got coming up very soon as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Hailu. It is, yeah. One thing I was going to say, Hailu, is that when you speak to players about these um, areas that they're going to highlight that they know they need to work on a lot of the time, aren't they? How yes. how much or how accurate is it what they're telling you, which comes across from when you actually start watching them move, if that makes sense? So in terms of what they feedback after some reps, is that what you mean? Even before the reps. So are they able to feed back to you, right, I need to work on this because I do this, and then it, it tends to fall relatively in line with what you're seeing, or is it quite far away from what you actually Definitely. see that recording? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of players do have some awareness of it especially especially um the the older players i would say so more young ones not so much i think they have an awareness of because there is a direct bit of feedback as well isn't it their inability to decelerate usually results in some sort of performance implication whether that's the person going past them or they're not being their ability to not stay close to a player so they do get some initial feedback in this sense but the older players are definitely able to articulate how the movement feels to them and a lot of them tend to describe um, I feel slow. I feel like I can't get off the ground. I feel like I can't shift my weight back again. And and straight away, even in some of those conversations, you can start to understand actually, um, maybe maybe that actually he he doesn't he doesn't have the trunk discipline. If he actually feels like he's in the hole really, uh, really deep, um, or feels really slow, maybe he actually is the eccentric and the the isometric qualities at the at the hip and the knee that are going to be um something that we need to pay attention to um or actually some players might feel like uh they can't react quick enough or or they can't slow down quick enough and i feel like i have to take so much more steps which actually starts to give you a bit of an idea actually of what sort of profile um they might be within this so much like um jonas shared previously um there are these these profile types right there are strategies, projection, switch, and reaction. Some some players tend to sit on the uh, projection, better on the projecting side. Some people need to prove their switching, and some people need to prove their reactivity. And a lot of the work that we're trying to do now is actually really trying to understand different types of decelerators. And definitely from some of the examples I'm about to show next is this is probably one good example of a a a specific type of decelerator would be. This player here. So if you if we start to see he's going into a 10-5, okay, and that's kind of been one of the ways we've been kind of understanding change direction and also deceleration. But he's doing his 10-5 here. And when you when he gets to this end point, 
what we tend to see along this run and definitely at this end point is this person here wants to spend a lot of time on the ground. Yeah. A lot of time on the ground in deep ranges of motion. It's really, really yields at the ankle, at the knee, at the hip. Doesn't really have enough trunk discipline. And the whole movement looks very slow in order to reorientate. It almost looks like two separate movements going in and then really having to slow before going again. Okay. Um, and these guys, from the experience that we've seen so far, is that these guys, in terms of their types, these guys tend to be a bit more of the full dominant athletes that actually get the guys that like feeling the ground a bit more same way they would do in acceleration that they use the ground a bit more they push for longer is very much the similar strategies that, uh, to which that they they decelerate with as well so you see that actually they want to yield a bit more they want to spend more time on the ground because they have to overcome this eccentric force this um this forward momentum and they need more time to be able to do that in order to allow the muscles to kind of take over and, and and do its thing especially if they are pushers or force dominant um and um whereas actually there might be some other players um that actually are a bit more elastic in a sense that um actually can be really reactive to the floor but maybe need a lot more steps to displace their de deceleration across across a run um whereas this individual in, in front of us actually the more force dominant individual is able to really do it in less steps but just takes so much longer to do it does that make sense so far yeah so yeah so one one thing that this person has been working on actually is um getting him to understand how to how to create that force in shallower ranges and how to prepare better for the ground and actually in this clip here you can see actually i've got i've got, I've got a question here do you sit or fold do you sit into the hole or do you fold into the hole? As we can see from the last clip, this individual folds and yields a lot at the joints, whether that's trunk, hip or knee. Okay. And actually helping this individual from a skill perspective, understand how to sit is one way of approaching it. But then also we might couple this with actually improving his eccentric rate of force development. So he can produce a lot of force, but actually can we help you produce that force in less time? So yeah. that you don't have to yield, uh, yield as much, or can you produce that force in shallower ranges? So you don't have to spend so much time in the hole. And look, we're diving into the details of this, but we always need to go back to the game a little bit. And um, it's important for us to understand that there's going to be very different variations of how people decelerate. Someone can have the same 10-5 time, but do it in a very different way. So we need to appreciate the variation. And that's something that we're pushing towards um, understanding a bit more at Speedworks. We're kind of really focusing on actually capturing the information around the 10.5 using view motion like we just showed in the last clip to really understand what the ranges or the variation between individuals and what the similarities and what the key KPIs. But fundamentally, it always comes back to what does the game demand? We, we need to appreciate where people's strategies lie. Are you more force dominant? Do you tend to sit into the hole a bit more or do you tend to displace your steps over many more over many more steps or many or a larger distance we need to appreciate those variations but then also the game is also going to demand something of these players so a key indicator for this individual is actually he actually isn't probably not going to have the time available the time available in the game to be able to get into these deep ranges so even though he, he might have a good 10-5 time but maybe a lot of our attention needs to be focused on actually improving his strategy within that in order to make it more effective for the game so can you actually decelerate in sh in improve your eccentric rate, rate of force development teach you how to sit instead of folding which will help you prepare for the next step better 
better and allow you to be quicker in the game. Okay, in order to be able to change direction, in order to decelerate and move on to the uh, move closer to the player or to close the space, whatever that might be. Is that making sense so far? Yeah, it does. The other thing I was going to mention is how much does his position impact the work that's going to go on from? So obviously looking at the differences, anyone that's looking at the visual now, you'll see the mm-hmm. big difference in his position. Yeah. And looking at that from a positional sense, how much does that impact your approach? 100%. I think so. There's a great study here. Um, and uh, so this is this is a. Uh, a study that actually Tom DeSantos did, and actually I'm looking at understanding the the intensity of turns and and uh, the type of turns that occur across different positions, and the position definitely influences things a lot. So you, what you see here, it just in, in order to wrap up things a bit more in a in a bite sized sense, the fullbacks and centre backs um, have a larger proportion of high um, high degree turns. Okay, and what that what does that tell us? Our understanding of of these types of turns is that there is a greater deceleration element to it. Okay. Obviously the, these guys tend to do these turns because of their positional requirements, but we need to understand the physical loads of those, um, or the physical implications of those positional demands. So, um, yes, definitely, definitely the positional demands affect things. And actually the defenders tend to be the ones that actually need to improve on these qualities a lot more. Okay. And actually, a lot of the time they're having to react to what the attacker is doing so there is also a time element that we need to consider it's not also just being good at deceleration but actually how quick can you decelerate because yeah. because the time you have to decelerate and is not dictated by you it's dictated by the attacker mm-hmm. um so that's a very key thing that we need to always understand that okay yes we have these two different strat- strategies as to how we decelerate but fundamentally you all need to do it quickly and you don't have the time and space available. So actually, my interventions may differ, but we're all trying to move these guys closer towards decelerating quicker. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and the the I think the variations start to also come within positions uh, positional demands. Um, and that's where transitional movement fits in a little bit for me. Um, it's not just decelerating as a as a as a quality. I think sometimes we view things as just a quality. And if we always start from a game speed perspective, we understand that actually the centre-backs are probably going to be doing a lot more lateral shuffling where the mm-hmm. game is in front of them, okay? And actually uh, breaking in that sense, maybe not actually from a from a sprint because of the spaces that they're operating are a lot smaller. They may be breaking from more of a, within shorter distances um, and having to lateral shuffle or rotate a bit more to stay close to their defenders because their objective is to close space. Whereas uh, those individuals that are higher up the pitch, maybe, uh, maybe actually where there's more space available, potentially in the middle of the field and, and the game is around them. Okay. There's going to be greater demand for them to, to um, turn and really accelerate. Okay. Coming from a sprint. And, and those are facts that we have to consider, like what are the entry speeds that people are coming to? How does that impact, impact their ability to, to decelerate or the demand to decelerate. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I think, so that's a lot of the stuff that we're kind of working on at the moment. And I think it's probably a good time to maybe come into transitional movements. And and I guess, uh, again, I've got a short clip here just to kind of really visualize some of the things that I've spoken about. And so we spoke about what, what the coaches tend to talk about. 
um, in terms of player doesn't move his feet very well. And there's a short compilation here of a lot of players that that definitely could improve on this quality. And and we it's very common in the game. So in these clips, the focus is actually all on the defenders, not actually what the attackers are doing. What are the defenders doing? And the reason why I pick up the defenders is because these guys are the ones that tend to, there seems to be a, a larger influence on performance in these situations. It happens all over the pitch, but it just is a bit more harsh for the defenders because usually that ends in a shot or a goal and those situations are highlighted slightly more. Whereas if you're a midfielder and you don't turn very well, if you don't transition your feet very well, it doesn't really impact the game as much. So we probably don't highlight those situations enough. Whereas because we are so close to the goal as defenders or for the defenders, it usually results in, um, yeah, a shot or a goal or a, a, a game influencing situation. Yeah, the key critical moments, aren't they? These like that, that's what exactly. You're at. exactly, yeah, and 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 one thing I like about these clips is that we can't really bucket these into change direction, deceleration, and sprinting. Yeah. It's not so clear. There's, there's actually a, a mixture of all of them. And a lot of these situations, players aren't making full changes of direction. It's not a 180 turn. It's not a 90 degree turn that we might train in a more of a, in a training setting. A lot of these actually are very subtle changes of their, the direction they're moving in. And actually some of the needs, some of the, the purposes and, and the needs for transitional movements is yes, to set us up to enter key positions in order to, to set us up to, to hit key positions for maximum speed in less time. So actually the ability to cross over my feet or the ability to backpedal quicker sets me, allows me to set me up to get into my max speed quicker. And if I can't do that, the game doesn't allow the time for me to, to be able to get into my max speed sometimes mm -hmm. or to be able to accelerate hard. And actually some of the other needs are, it's not a full change. A lot of those situations that we just saw are players rotating, but still moving in the same direction. Yeah. Well, actually, the transitional movements are about minimizing speed loss when it's subtle changes of direction or, or or more of a reorientation that we're starting to see. So how actually how how well do you minimize speed loss when you have to go from front to back? Um. And again, and, and like we've already mentioned, the third purpose is actually to be able to re reorientate or redirect our speed. So that's where the transitional movements come in for us. And and in my experience. Breaking is a big part of a lot of these, especially for some of those defensive actions. Um, breaking in in a less traditional sense, as of course in a in a traditional sense as well. But when it comes to transitional movements, I think there becomes even more of an emphasis on skills. Um, actually, your ability to control your center of mass, your ability to, can you can your hip trunk sorry can your hip and your trunk rotate at the same time in order to allow you to fluidly rotate your body or open your shoulder in order to to um to reorientate your speed or reposition do you have the pelvic and yeah on top of that do you have the pelvic and segmental dissociation that is important or even the synchronization between hip shoulder and foot in order to reorientate your speed what is your spatial awareness like and we always tend to see defenders we always i remember the coaches would explain as he's very heavy footed when he's backpedaling he looks yeah. like he's losing his balance um or when he comes out of a turn, he looks really out of balance when he comes out of a turn. And these are very broad terms, but a lot of these things that they're, that they're talking about is actually a player's spatial awareness. When he does rotate when moving backwards, does he have an awareness of where he, where he is in space? Which isn't a physical quality as such. It's actually 
more of a skill uh, in my eyes anyway um but yes the capacities do support that um but those subtle changes of the direction those reorientations those transition movements like the shuffle the back pedal the drop step the crossover are a lot more about skills um and and they're equally important very important uh yeah so i think i've waffled on for a while there no, Does that make sense so far? Yeah, absolutely class information and the one thing i was going to say on that hello as well is that you see this don't you when you've got you a lot of older we, we're talking about defenders now in this position but when you see some of these older players yeah, maybe haven't even been the quickest right the way through the career, but definitely aren't at the ages they're playing now. Yeah, but are able to complete these tasks efficiently yeah. and not get caught in some of the positions that we've just seen there. Yeah. That sort of shows that importance of the skill, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And but to be fair, you also have to give them credit because they probably begin to develop some of the tactical understanding as well. Yeah. And um, because they might not be the best physical specimens, but actually tactically they're able to position themselves really well. But I think where the Premier League is going in terms of players getting faster and and the game getting quicker, for me it only highlights the need for these transitional movements and being better at breaking even more. Yeah, definitely. Even more, it's going to be even more important because those situations happen so much. I watch games weekly and see these situations where players could transition or control their center of mass ball or um, transition between acceleration and change direction better um, in order to get tight to someone, in order to close a space, in order to beat the man to the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when we start from testing, we, we really miss these, these pockets of, these pockets of, of information that's really important for helping our players improve performance yeah um and it's not taken away from the things we do in the gym and the things we do um on the field because we, we're doing really well i think in that industry um in that sector now i think we're really pushing things as, as well um but from a game piece game speed perspective how do we help people connect how do we help players connect all these different separate skills or these qualities so to speak um specific to the game because that's also what we're all trying to influence right well it's big picture isn't it because you've mentioned areas that straight away you could be implementing within a gym program when you've been speaking about movements of whichever players you're talking about there so it all comes together doesn't it we've got to look yeah. at the, the picture as a whole yeah yeah 100 and and i've also been down the route of of just going down the gym side of things and um, like really trying to improve this player's physical qualities <coughs> But yet you go back to the field and they have the same issues. Yeah. yeah. They go back to the field and they still don't know how to, With the, if, if anything, it becomes more challenging because they have this, this added strength, this added power, and they just don't know how to manage it. They don't know how to manipulate this, especially at, high, at fast speeds. Yeah. When players are running at them. And those are quite crucial parts of the game, especially from a football perspective anyway. But you, and even for me, I've also looked at, we've also looked uh, at how this influences basketball like mm-hmm. some of the things that would how does that look in basketball how does that look in rugby and you see a lot of similarities um, either their ability to break or their ability to transition between movements is the thing that's actually limiting them it isn't their ability to go in a straight line over 10 meters um, it is actually their ability to run one way break in time or actually, um, yeah, breaking time and moving to the new direction. Yeah, the ability to um, 
we're moving backwards, but how do I now reorientate to move forwards without losing speed? Mm-hmm. How do I maintain speed? Um, and those qualities. And so these are things that we're really trying to push for view motion and view motion is really doing a great job for us to kind of really understand the kinetics um, that support a lot of the work that Damien Harper and Tom DeSantos have done. It helps us to understand what are the differences between deceleration types, because there are many different physical physical types. Um, to in order, so and so then our intervention should follow that as well. Yeah. Uh, we need to first have an understanding for what type of decelerators are there out there. Um, and and soon we'll be able to push this information out. And a lot of the workshops that we've been delivering at Speedworks has been really helping the game speed ones have really been focused around understanding transitional movements more and how to develop transitional movements. But then also some of the other workshops have been heavily focused around understanding breaking a bit more. What are some of the dr- key drills? key skills that we need to to learn uh to help people break better and how how do we transition that that gym strength into into pitch strength uh, the information you're giving today has been absolutely quality and i didn't expect anything less from following on from the episode with jonas but i really really appreciate you going into the detail that you have on those topics because yeah. i think they've been really beneficial for everyone listening i want to be really respectful of your time as well we, yeah. we normally do the quick fire. We're not going to do it. Because what I want to do is I want to just open up the opportunity for anyone listening. If they want more information about the work that you're doing, that Speedworks is doing, any events or anything that you've got coming up, can you give any details yeah. of those now? Yeah, so um, I have my own social media, so social media page. So in addition to Speedworks, definitely Speedworks is definitely the, the hub for a lot of the information that we're going to be pushing out, a lot of the things that we're doing with players and, and the, the educational stuff. So if it isn't Speedworks website, um through the coaching websites uh um through the through the through the instagram pages then you can also find my direct page or uh, that is at hilu theodros um very simple um twitter is also a space i need to get better on but um that will be a space that there'll be some information being pushed out there as well but main mainly instagram um and then again in terms of the courses we're doing a lot of We've got a, a big year of coach development days, a lot of workshops coming up where we're going to really be diving into this even more and really specifying it to specific specific, specific sports. Um, uh, so games be football, games be for rugby. Those are things that are going to be coming out soon. So really starting to tailor this information to to how to people's context, right? People's day to day. I think the added bonus is a lot of the guys within Speedworks have been in the club set and so we understand we understand where the challenges are and and how do we tr- take this information and apply it to a day-to-day perspective so there's going to be a lot of that information out there brilliant well i urge people to go and at least go and give you guys a follow and yourself as well but also get invested into some of the content that you guys are putting out there because i know everyone that's done the courses and even had days with, with yourselves have, have come away with so much quality information i know we've sort of scratched the surface a little bit in this one and it's hard to do on a podcast so um i think you've done a great job so thank you very much for coming on Howard. no pleasure thank you for having me thank you for having me i've really enjoyed it and um hopefully come on again soon once we have a bit more to share definitely definitely thanks mate top man take care bye-bye I'm pretty sure you'll agree that the information that if you've listened to episode 100, 195 combined with this one the quality of work that the guys over at Speedworks are doing is absolutely brilliant and I'm sure you took plenty away from this episode as I did. I fully could have spoke to Hailu all day about these topics. I think the 
depth of information um, that these guys are going into is absolutely first class. So make sure you go and support them. Go and give them at least a follow over on socials. Keep up to date with exactly what they got going on. They also they they share a lot of their work as well. So you'll you'll learn a lot from simply following following them. But also go and support them. They they run their their courses. Um, I know they do days out at clubs as well. So keep an eye out for those. And I definitely say there's a lot of our community members that have gone out and done days with Speedworks and always come back um, raving about the information they've taken away from it. So make sure you go and check them out. Speedworks, and you can obviously go and follow Hilo over on socials as well. Um, takeaways on this one, he spoke about the transitional movements bridging the gap between the pitch and the gym. And it sort of ties in with the language that a lot of coaches use that we've spoke about before. And he gave some great examples of players um, losing balance and just not changing direction, not feeling quite as sharp as what they should. And th these are the movements that, that are important. When he showed the clips of the players defending, you can see the sort of timing that they're losing when, when attackers are going up against them. And they're the key moments in the game, the critical moments in the game. Also, the individual differences between players. So a lot of them might have similar challenges from the outside, which he spoke about like, with a group of five players, but then there's a lot of context within that, isn't there? There's a lot of individualization that needs to go into that approach. It isn't just a case of a cookie-cutter program that's going to deal with and um, give the players what they need. When you start to break it down to the levels that Hilo is doing, um, there's, there's a lot of layers to that. And it doesn't always mean that one program is, is going to be suitable for all different players. So that's a really important factor. I know some people are going to be looking at that and thinking, well, how do I deal with the amount of players that I've got in front of me? But maybe that is a question for him because that is obviously something that he... Um, it's obviously not something that we discussed in this podcast, possibly for a future one. But it's definitely a challenge that I know a lot of coaches are facing um, in their current roles as well. A lot of it comes back to tackling a performance question or a performance problem that the, the player is struggling with this and working back from that. And that is something that he really pushed in the podcast was that we start with the game, we look at the game and then we work back from that. Whereas as sport scientists, as strength conditioning coaches, sometimes we get caught up in our testing and how much does that actually relate to the game? Obviously it's a tool, it's something that we can use, we can use it within the process but simply improve, improving like a um, agility test away from the pitch, is that truly going to um, prepare players for the pitch and, and for the demands of the game? So we always start with the game in mind and work back from there. So really, really enjoyable chat with Hailey. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If there wasn't a bigger reason to leave us a review, this is surely it. So please go and do it. Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to the podcast, Click the five stars and on iTunes, leave us a short um, summary of maybe your most enjoyable guest, most enjoyable topic. I really would appreciate it. And just final thing from me, go and support the guys at Speedworks, like I said, doing some brilliant work. And also our sponsors, make sure you go and check out Rezzel, doing some great work in VR, um, technology around rehabilitation and how that fits, how VR can fit into preparing players for performance out on the pitch and also to Hydro doing some great work in blood flow restriction. Their kit is second to none, absolutely quality. So make sure you go and check those two companies out and support the work they're doing. Well, a big thank you for listening to episode 223. 
and I'll be back next week for episode 224.